Hello, working people of Southwest Washington. You're listening to Episode 8 of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. We're also sponsored by the Vancouver Education Association, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. And we're a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Find out more about the network at laborradionetwork.org. And I'm Shannon Myers. And I'm Harold Phillips. And before we get started, we want to remind you that the views and opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council or its affiliates or the guests unions or the guest employers or even my husband. Oh, I think your husband's got a lot of opinions about what we've been doing (laughs) every week. I know. I know. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for loaning her to us. So, Shannon, now that we got that out of the way, how you doing? Do you really want to know the answer to this question? It's a lot, right? There's a lot going on right now. So, how you doing? So, let me tell you. Number one, I'm exhausted. And the other thing is, is I got my ballot on Friday. I filled it out and I put it in the mail and I'm just hoping that in the next couple months that we can recover from this disaster, not only politically, but with the COVID, with the fires, uh, all of it. I'm ready for things to calm down. Yeah, you know, you are not alone. I think one of the worst things about this time in history that we're living in is that it just never stops. Every time we think we've got a handle on the challenges that are being thrown our way, it seems like there's something new and awful just right around the corner. It's hard to keep a positive outlook, let alone keep a roof over your head with all the stuff going on. Working people in our community, they're uh, they're getting worn out. And the longer this goes on, the more support they're going to need for their finances, for their family life, for their mental health. We are lucky to have two experts on providing support for community members here with us to talk about that. First, we'd like to welcome Tanisha Harris. She works as a CASA program specialist for YWCA Clark County, and she's also running for the Washington House of Representatives in the 17th Legislative District. Hi, Tanisha. Hi. Daniel Smith is also joining us. He's been a social worker for over 20 years, and he's also running to represent working families in the 17th district, but he's running for state Senate. Thanks for joining us, Daniel. Thanks for having me, Harold, Shannon. 2020 has been a nightmare for so many people. Daniel, you've been a counselor for a number of years. I'm sure that you really have seen an impact on people's mental health over the course of this year, yeah? Yeah, no doubt. The last seven months has been a high-stress environment for families for just a number of reasons. I work very specifically with a variety of community partners all across Southwest Washington, and we are all identifying where those unmet mental health needs are surfacing and then how to address them. And we're also simultaneously planning for what we call the behavioral health surge, which is the continuation of increased anxiety, depression, and symptomology around post-traumatic stress as we move through this crisis. Tanisha, you work at the YWCA. 
which I know does a lot to support people in the community when they're in crisis. Are you folks also preparing for a mental health tsunami as the year progresses? We are. Um, when I think back to last March, the YWCA Clark County had to shut our doors. We had to close our doors. And that's something that we are not used to. We have services going each and every single day. And to shut our doors to our participants and clients and those in need was very, very hard. We've been able to open back up our doors. We do have limited hours, but we're able to do our advocacy work. But we had to readjust to COVID and how we deliver our services and how we help those in need. I think a lot of people, when they think of the YWCA, they may think of a gym or yeah. they may <laughs> a place to stay. I was going to say the YMCA, except for it's the YWCA. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the hand doesn't <laughs> quite work there. I know you guys provide a huge number of services to the community. Can you give us an idea of the guiding principles of the YWCA? Yeah. So our mission statement is eliminating racism, empowering women, and promoting peace, justice, freedom, and dignity for all. That is our mission. I work in the CASA program, which stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. We advocate for our youth in foster care. We also have our ILS, which is our Independent Living Skills Program, which is for our foster care youth ages 15 to 23. It used to be ages 15 to 21, but the state legislature increased that to the age of 23. We also have our Wise Care Children's Program for our preschool program. We have our sexual assault program and our Safe Choice DV program. So we provide advocacy and legal advocacy support services for those people who are both victims and survivors of sexual assault, domestic violence. We do run our shelter as well. In addition to those services, we are promoting social justice in our community. So we have a lot of community partners like LULAC, the NAACP, the Clark County Latino Network, and many other organizations that we are promoting social justice, speaking out against racism. So I have a question for Daniel. My kids and I are driving each other bonkers. One of my kids is very social. She's having a hard time. One is not social. She's doing just fine. But they're both going to have uh, some issues. And I'm curious, can you talk about how your um, profession is going to handle this youth that is going through this? Shannon, I think families, regardless of situations, go through stressful times. And there's no doubt that um, what might be occurring in your house is stressful. I think our community is very much focused on families who have unmet mental health needs and have seen those services that they might have been able to access significantly decrease. At this point in time, our providers are still engaging with families in the community, especially those who have higher levels of need. But we also know that we're not meeting all the needs of families who are under significant stress. And that stress comes from a variety of different places. We really have to also pay attention to, and, and we have been over the last four or five months, that you know workers are also facing the exact same stress. As social workers, we tend to be helpers and we tend to sort of push ourselves to the point of exhaustion and burnout because we feel that there's just this 
need out there that we want to try to meet. And sometimes we don't embrace self-care as an employee or as a worker. And I think that that's a real important piece because if we don't have healthy uh, workers who are feeling safe in the work that they're doing, it's a really difficult dynamic to also then be supporting families who are in need. You know, I work with social workers within the foster care system and our own CASA staff and our community partners. Here we are needing to be strong to do our jobs, but knowing that we have to also be strong for our families and our friends and our neighbors too. And in our line of work, self-care is so important, but it's even more important now because you have to truly find that work balance, taking care of your families and making sure everything is going right. I think the best thing I'm seeing amongst my colleagues is that we are just completely supportive of each other and recognize when one of us needs to step in for another one. I think a lot of patience and grace is being shown amongst so many people, not just in the area of work that myself and Daniel do, but I think you're seeing that patience, grace, and kindness extended throughout society too. We use these terms, self-care, mental health, For someone who is just going through their life trying to pay their rent and make sure that their kids are fed, what should they be looking out for to let them know that maybe they do need to ask for help? I think it's going to be unique to people. And one of the things that I focus on in my work is stigma. Stigma is one of the most significant barriers for people to access mental health services because there's still a very strong force in our society that having a mental health need is somehow considered some type of failure. And you feel very hesitant to say that, you know, I'm not feeling so great, or maybe I'm agitated, or I'm sleeping a little bit more, I don't have motivation, or my appetite has changed, or I'm not getting along with people that I used to get along with, or my temper is a little bit, you know, shorter than it normally is. Now, these are not signs of a mental health condition, but they're certainly signs and indicators that we want to make sure we don't let go unaddressed. And during this time of uncertainty and isolation, I think about the families and parents and people I know who are are in recovery, who are recovering addicts. It is a matter of recognizing when you're about ready to take that drink, when you want to call up your friend that you used to use with. Um, recognizing those warning signs around you, some of your triggers as well. Call your sponsor, you know, look for a support group. Everything's online now too. There's a number of AA groups and NA, Narcotics Anonymous groups too. I've seen parents I work with really strengthen their own sobriety by reaching out, not being afraid. Do not be embarrassed. You're doing what you can to better yourself. So we're just about out of time for this segment. Can you think of any resources that you'd like to put in front of people if they are struggling? Oh, I will give a plug for my employer of the YWCA Clark County. If you find yourself a victim and ultimate a survivor of sexual assault, abuse, domestic violence, if you need food assistance, if you need help 
in the legal system in terms of protection orders. We encourage everybody to visit the YWCA's website, which is ywcaclarkcounty.org. We have language translation services. So we have like over 30 languages that our website can be translated to. We also provide advocacy, support, and services for our LGBTQ community. And we also have a 1-800 hotline number. It's 1-800-695-0167. That's 24 hours a day. We have on-call staff members who are there to pick up the phone and to help you. We do run a domestic violence shelter, but we also provide services for emergency shelter purposes as well, too. Um, we, we, we do a lot. If you do find yourself in a mental health crisis or your family's in a mental health crisis or there's somebody that you want to talk to, there are a variety of different warm lines that you can call, which will be staffed by people with lived experiences with mental health and substance use disorders and people who can really relate to you as well. But if you are experiencing a mental health crisis, I would encourage you, and it's not life-threatening, but it is something that you want to get support around to call the Southwest Washington Crisis Line, which is 1-800-626-8137. So that's 1-800-626-8137. There's never a wrong time to call. Those are tremendous resources. Thank you so much for sharing those. Stick around, working people. We'll be right back with Daniel Smith running for Washington State Senate to represent the 17th Legislative District, and Tanisha Harris, running for Washington State House of Representatives, also to represent the 17th District. Hey folks, it's Mark, your host on My Labor Radio. You can find us on multiple podcast platforms, and this show is now part of the laborradionetwork.org. You can discover more than just us by visiting their website. The Labor Radio Network will help you find your next new favorite union podcast or radio show. A simple network of folks from across the nation. Working people keep raising their voices more and more each day and demanding better treatment from their workplaces and their elected officials. As you know, these voices don't get heard very much on the corporate-controlled media. But the 21st century's labor movement has a new way to get its message out there. And working people don't rely on traditional media gatekeepers. It's now the internet, so you can turn off your TV to get the real news. So that gets us to that one-stop shop. Just visit laborradionetwork.org. On the main page, you'll see a grid of show logos. Just click one, and the description and links pop up right there. It's worth going to visit this ever-growing Voices of Labor resource. Join us at laborradionetwork.org. Thanks for sticking with us, working people. Carrie Van Nostren is the president of the Vancouver Education Association, a group that has also been thinking how to support our community during these very difficult times. Carrie, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Harold, for having me. So, Carrie, what is the Vancouver Education Association? We are the certificated non-supervisory union affiliated with Vancouver Public Schools. So we are predominantly classroom teachers, but we also represent and include among our members folks who serve in roles like school nurses, speech language pathologists, behavior specialists, instructional coaches, and the specialist list goes on. But the primary role of our union members is to serve the students of Vancouver Public Schools and their respective families as well, more so now than ever under current circumstances. Carrie, I've been getting a lot of notices in regards to hybrid learning. What is the union doing in the Vancouver Public Schools 
to address this. For those people who don't have kids in school right now, what is hybrid learning? Mm. We are under remote learning circumstances for the most part at this time, which implies that we are engaging electronically, either live via Zoom or through asynchronous learning. So students have access through a couple of different online platforms to learning materials, pre-recorded lessons. As we look forward to hybrid learning, the assumption there is that it would be a blend of still some continued remote learning. So students might be split into two separate groups or cohorts of students so that we're able to reduce the number of students we gather on site. As you can imagine, it feels a little bit like you're headed into a double workload experience as a teacher. But the goal with the hybrid approach is that either cohort would have an opportunity to rotate back and forth between some time remote and some time on site. And do you guys foresee that coming up anytime shortly? We are looking forward to the opportunity to transition when safe to do so with elementary age students first. We've strongly advocated for those of us with boots on the ground who would be providing direct service under hybrid circumstances to help contribute to some of that planning process, just because I think we would have the best understanding of what that might look like, feel like, and how it might run most smoothly in order to impact students and families in a positive way. And we've been appreciative to have far greater communication coming from school district administrators and school board directors alike. With all of that in mind, what would you like the parents out there to know? I would love to express gratitude on behalf of our membership of 1,600-ish educators, recognizing that many families were never anticipating finding themselves under current circumstances. And I'm really proud and impressed with our members based on the huge strides that they've made since Springs remote instructional experience. It requires a really high degree of creativity and compassion and patience and a lot of time, to be quite honest. And so, again, just greatly appreciate from the community their patience and understanding as we are doing the best that we can and would really encourage families to reach out to their classroom teachers or school staff directly as frequently as possible. If there are pieces that we can continue to improve or communicate more clearly, we want to be doing our best by our students and families and are open to that constructive feedback and also gratitude for those who are maintaining social distance, washing hands as frequently as possible, wearing masks when in public spaces or when exposed to others, and doing all that we can to mitigate the exposure and the number of cases that unfortunately continue to increase because we need to get into a safer position as a community in order for us to move forward with the transition to hybrid and eventually the transition back to full on-site services. Carrie, if the listeners want to find out more about the Vancouver Education Association, where should they go? Yeah, we do have a public website. It's www.vancouverea.org. That's a great site to see some of the great work that we've done over the last several years, whether it's local community engagement, professional development, or lobbying in Olympia. And on that same website, uh, direct contact information for myself as local president, in addition to our office staff, can be found there. We are here to serve the students and families of Vancouver Public Schools and the Vancouver community and are really proud to partner with 
our union family through the Central Labor Council, but also with community leaders like Tanisha and Daniel. Thank you so much for joining us. Carrie Van Nosseren, president of the Vancouver Education Association. And stick with us, working people. We will be right back. Hey, folks. It's Judy Ansel from the Heartland Labor Forum in Kansas City. You can find us at kkfi.org. The Heartland Labor Forum is a member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Just go to laborradionetwork.org and you'll find a grid of logos for shows. Click on any one for history, news, politics, or arts, all about the most neglected topic in the corporate media. Workers, check out our show on kkfi.org and all the shows at laborradionetwork.org. Welcome back, working people. We are continuing our conversation with Tanisha Harris, who is running for the Washington State House of Representatives for the 17th Legislative District, and Daniel Smith, who is running for the Washington State Senate, also to represent the 17th District. For people who don't live in this area, can you describe (laughs) the 17th Legislative District? You know, for those of you who are listening outside of the 17th District, it's not surprising to me that you don't know where it is. (laughs) The 17th LD, we are kind of central east Clark County. We consist of East Vancouver, parts of Brush Prairie, a little bit of Hawkinson, the south part of Battleground into the eastern part of Ridgefield in Salmon Creek area. So Washington State University, Vancouver, that's all part of the 17th. We have great views of Mount St. Helens, and we have also a lot of suburbs. We are truly the home of the suburbs and the apartment complexes. I like to say that the 17th LD is home of lots and lots of apartment complexes. What do you think the biggest issues in the 17th district are that you're going to take up to Olympia? The two most important issues that we are confronting in our community is, of course, the economy and healthcare. And those issues remain the number one priorities for families all throughout Southwest Washington. And I think that they will remain the the number one issues uh, going into the next legislative session and for the years ahead as we continue to emerge from this crisis. I completely agree. Those issues were things I heard about in 2018, still continue to hear about it now in 2020. And for us down here, because we are growing, you know, the parts of Battleground and Ridgefield that are in the 17th are some of the fastest growing areas in the state of Washington and our school districts are growing too. So public education will always be a priority and transportation infrastructure. We need good representatives who believe in those things. Um, I can't stress that enough to believe in those things and want the best for our growing communities. You talked a bit about your professional experience in the first segment. What role does your professional experience play in your decision to run for office? I think for me, it's really everything. I've always said that I've been blessed that my political, personal, and professional backgrounds and life experiences kind of all come together. And, you know, for this particular race in the 17th, we were in this race two years ago, and we came up short by 850 votes. And I've told people, I'm back to finish what we started, because the current representative hasn't gotten any better. She's been there four years, and that's four years too long, as far as I'm concerned. I look at the work I do at the YWCA the work I do with our school districts, helping to pass, and thanks to labor support on this, 
um, the largest school bond in Washington State history back in 2018. Everything that I do has a direct connection to the laws and policies that are coming out of Olympia and our county and our cities. You know, the work that I've done over the last 24 years has impacted my decision to put my name on the ballot. You don't stay a social worker doing work with families and community in some pretty stressful situations unless you have a full appreciation for the voices of those of which policy that comes out of state houses is affected. I think one of the motivators for me is I interact with community system partners, policymakers, folks up at Olympia, folks all across the state of Washington in the work that I do. Um, I lead coalitions throughout the state of Washington to impact policy. I lead coalitions here in Southwest Washington. And what I notice over the years is that so often we have legislative discussions and we are really not building a bigger table by bringing into those policy discussions the voices and the stories and the experiences of those who have been impacted or would be impacted by policies that are decided up in Olympia. When you go into a doctor's office, there is no RD checkbox when you have an unmet mental health need or when you need services. Nobody cares whether you're Republican or Democrat. Nobody cares what party you're from or what side of the partisan cable you're on. They want to just come together and solve problems. So that's really a motivator because I've just seen it too many times. I've seen decisions being made without having folks' voices at the table. You see that, I mean, when we say representation matters, we're talking about race, ethnicity, socioeconomic, working class status. During this campaign season, I've been asked if a piece of legislation comes to you and it's still a committee, you have questions. Will you reach out to groups or organizations that maybe didn't necessarily support you or endorse you? And I've said, absolutely. You know, I want to hear from people and organizations that this proposed legislation affects. I want to hear from families. So if I have a bill in front of me that's talking about educational curriculum, I want to know from inside the classroom, the teachers and the paraeducators and the one-on-one -on -one staff assistants, how this affects them. You know, if we're talking about healthcare, we got to listen to doctors, we have to listen to the nurses. And, you know, you have to sometimes listen to people who, different organizations that you may necessarily not agree with philosophically, but they're in the community. And I want to know how it affects the working class families and middle class families and all the individuals here in Clark County because I want to have the best information possible to have the most informed decision. You know what? These two people are actually hardworking community members who work in our communities, who believe in the we, not the me, which I think is so important these days. We have really got to get to that we and not just the me. You want to give voices to those who may not know how to use theirs yet or may not have the ability to use theirs. And that is not the current representation that we have in the 17th. The piece around the we is the only piece that gets things going. When you have a paradigm that is partisan or us against them, you don't solve any problems. There's no issue that partisanship has ever solved. To me, the value and the strength of what elected leaders are able to bring to the table is that they place an emphasis on people who disagree with them. They place an emphasis on different life experiences. 
And they really do try to understand where people are coming from. So Shannon, I was born and raised in the 17th LD. And I think it was probably when I first started working for the Evergreen School District almost 20 years ago that I started doing my first lobbying work, you know, going up to Olympia and speaking on behalf of the Evergreen School District. And unfortunately, over the years in the 17th LD, we have had a number of representatives and state senators who they don't meet with everybody. They have a closed door policy. They don't have an open door policy. They have a closed door policy. I will always have an open door policy and people can come in. Even there'll be some people who I don't personally want in my office, but I'm going to still listen to them because I want to hear what they have to say and the position that they are taking. And just because I disagree with you doesn't mean that I'm going to find a ways not to meet with you or have my legislative assistant keep rescheduling something over and over again. You know the one that I like the best? Drop your lit with my LA. That's the one I love. Mm -hmm. Hold on a second. So when you say lit, what do you mean? All organizations will have policy paperwork or a brochure about their organization, their position on different proposed bills, their legislative priorities. Um, We just call it literature. Dropping a literature with their legislative assistant or LA is a way of saying thanks, but no thanks, and a refusal to talk to their constituents. We have a phrase in the work that I do, you know, assume good intentions and go into a conversation assuming good intentions. Of course, people are going to disagree. Look, I work in some of the most conservative parts of the state of Washington and over the years have developed really solid relationships with folks who we disagree, I assume, on almost every single political point that you could possibly talk about. But at the end of the day, we share a common value. We share common value around family. We share common values around faith. We share common values about community. And that's a starting block. When you really do sit down and listen to folks, then you have progress. And that's where you can really start to hone in on solving issues. So I know that I live in the 17th and I've already voted for you two. But there are a lot of people out there who still haven't made up their mind. So where do they go to find out more about you? and how to help. You can go to electtanisha.com and Tanisha is spelled T-A-N-I-S-H-A. You can find all our contact information on our website. You can sign up for phone banks, text banks. You can make a donation. We have sign waving opportunities coming up. And also you can find out more about my background and history and work experience and where I stand on all the issues. And for me, of course, we also have a website. You can go to Smith. <laughs> for senate.org. That's F-O-R. You'll find all sorts of information about our campaign and my background. You can also find us on page 52 of your voters pamphlet that should be sitting somewhere on your countertop. And, uh, you know, I always encourage folks to call me, to send me an email. I am open to conversations with anybody who reaches out. Of course, like every other campaign right now, we are making tons of phone calls out into the district. So if you have an extra two hours in your week and you want to volunteer to make those calls, we certainly have those opportunities on our website as well as other events that are taking place as we cross the finish line. I guess the final question we have to ask, are you guys taking care of yourself? I know this is really stressful. We've been doing a lot of talk about self-care here. What are you doing to take care of yourself? You know, it's always easier said than done. Uh, There's no doubt about that. I 
wake up very early in the morning. That's my uh, reflective time. That's my self-care time. Uh, everybody else in my house is sleeping, even the dog. Uh, the chickens aren't even up at that point. So that that's really my self-care time. So for me, it's really being strategic about my hours during the day. I try to turn off all electronics by eight o'clock and I'm usually in bed between nine and 9.30 and I do not watch television during the month of October during campaign season. I just don't want to see or hear anything. And then also the times I need to spend with my family, I just make that time. I just say, this is what I'm doing and I do it because it's important to me. Give us those websites one more time. Electtanisha.com. Fifthpercentit.org. Well, thank you, Daniel Smith, running for state senate, and Tanisha Harris, running for Washington House of Representatives, both asking for your vote to represent the 17th Legislative District. And thank you, working people, for joining us on another episode of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council and sponsored by the Vancouver Education Association. Find out more about them at VancouverEA.org. And please mask up because I need my kids to go back to school. And don't forget that this podcast was recorded under a SAG-AFTRA collective bargaining agreement. Now that is the way to send me to school right there. Did you see that transition? That was a beautiful thing. Oh, Shannon, before we go. You wanted to tell them something about how they can help Tanisha, Daniel, and other labor-endorsed candidates in the upcoming election, right? Oh, yes. As I've stated before, the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council has amazing working family candidates that they've endorsed this year, and we are running fun banks every Oh, but wait. Wait. You're doing something different now, aren't you? They're not just fun banks. Well, Harold, you didn't let me explain. They're still fun banks, but now we are texting members. And I'll tell you what, I did it today. And it is so much fun to connect with our local brothers, sisters, and siblings of labor. So if you'd like to come out and encourage everyone to get out and vote, visit swwaclc.org and sign up. Remember, working people. This is your show. We want to know what you want to hear on it. Email us at podcast at swwaclc.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at swwaclc. And would you please subscribe and tell your friends and family? And while you're at it, give us five stars or a thumbs up or rub the genie's lamp, whatever your podcast platform of choice gives you. And folks, before we go, if you need help, don't be embarrassed. Don't let the stigma get to you. Pick up the phone and call some of these resources that Daniel and Tanisha brought out. And please be kind and take care of yourself and each other. We're only going to get through this together. We'll see you next week. Bye.